preach now. There I know. I wasn't on. It was my fault that time. Last time was your fault. This one was my fault. Actually, they were both my fault. Woo! Let me say it again. Good morning, church. Coming out of the presence of God into a preaching mode. It's a little transition here. So, I was down in Mexico. I'm going to share a few stories with you, um, but they tie into what I want to teach on today. Um, You remember a few weeks ago I told you that the Lord spoke to me about restoring the altar of the Lord. It was when Elijah called fire down from heaven before he did that to destroy the false prophets of Baal. Uh, I know I'm doing a lot of assumption here that you know the Bible, so forgive me if you don't know it that well. But a prophet of God wanted to turn the nation around. He calls all the false prophets out. And then he says, you call fire down. If it doesn't work, then I'm going to call fire down. And whoever God answers by fire wins. So uh, they tried it and it didn't work. So Elijah, before he called fire down from heaven, rebuilt the altar of the Lord. He took these stones and he rebuilt the altar of the Lord. And the Lord said to me, uh, to me personally, some of the stones have dropped out of your relationship with me. And mine in particular was a expectant faith. Because my wife got cancer last year. We've been through hell. We are recovering and we are back on track. Thank Thank you for your prayers. She's going back into her Ph.D. program next month. The kids are good. The house is good. Family's good. And we're, we're moving on. And now Hope has a big stick to beat the devil over, devil over the head with. It's called a testimony of the faithfulness of God. So whenever the devil tries to destroy you, cleave to God because he will actually make you become more like his son. And that really irritates the devil. So, um, so anyway, mine was... I believe God for miracles, but not like I did before we got hit. So I asked the Lord to restore that in my life. So Ellie and I and my friend Mario, who pastors our sister church in Tijuana, we went down to Baja a couple weeks ago, and I was in the hotel room, and I said, Lord, I want to operate at a level of faith like I used to. And he, bam, just did it on the inside of me. I got a hold of faith like I haven't had in a while. And so in that prayer time... Um, I always ask Jesus, what do you want to do in the service tonight that I might miss while I'm preaching because I'm thinking and stuff? So right now, you and me in the hotel room alone, and I know Ellie's down at the beach interceding on his knees, praying for his dad's church service that night. I'm sure he, that's what he was doing. And um, the Lord showed me uh, in, a, a, in the eye of my mind that there was a, a lady in the congregation or a female, I didn't know if it was older, younger, just a female, who uh, wanted to commit suicide. And when I stepped out in front of the pulpit and she came down the aisle, I wrapped my arms around her and she was completely set free from that spirit of death. That's all I got. So I, walk, uh, I walked on the campus of the church. And um, the first thing, I saw a couple over here I'd never met before. And I said to Mario, I think that guy's a pastor. And so we walked up to him. And sure enough, he was a pastor. And he oversaw 27 rehab centers throughout Mexico bringing freedom. And that's the word God gave to me before I went down to Mexico was freedom. In my prayer time, he said, freedom, freedom. So I knew I was coming down, and whatever God was going to do, it was going to be freedom. Well, rehab centers are about freedom, setting people free from the trap of drugs and alcohol and things that destroy their lives. Satan loves to cripple human beings. Jesus loves to heal human beings, and Jesus is more powerful than the devil. So it doesn't matter how far somebody is, how broken they are, Jesus can heal, save, and deliver, right? And so... That really confirmed. But I said, as I was talking to her, I said, uh, you, have, you, have, you have children, right? She goes, yeah, I have two sons. And one of, them, one of them is far from the Lord, you know, never given his life to Christ. So here they are bringing freedom to hundreds of people all over the, the nation of Mexico. But her own son has not given his life to Christ. You could see the pain in her face. So Elliot and I uh, prayed for her and prayed for the salvation of her son. 
Um, the next night, Saturday night, when I called for a salvation call, there were seven people that came down to give their lives to Christ. And you know where I'm headed with this, right? And her son was one of them. Woo! Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? So anyway, I'm in this meeting on the first night. And uh, I'm teaching on the demon-possessed man in the, uh, in the city of the, in the Gadarene region. It's Mark chapter 5. Jesus shows up on the shore. And there's a guy who was, they, they chained him and, and put him out in the wilderness because he couldn't get healed. And, uh, and then he would break the chains, and he was just out of his mind. And he was a madman, and the town was so afraid of him. Jesus shows up, and, uh, and I stopped right there. I'm preaching this sermon I'm saying to you right now. And I said, some of you have a situation in your life where you just feel like you're chained and nobody can help you. Counselors, psychiatrists, no medication, friends, prayer, nothing's helping you. And that may be true for some of you in here today. And I want to tell you that Jesus can absolutely set you completely free. And as I was saying this, I had that memory of that when I was in my hotel room that afternoon of the girl that wanted to commit suicide. Now, in a moment like that, you can either not take a risk and not see God move, or you can take a risk and possibly see him move if it's really him. It's a hero or zero moment, right? And so I'm five minutes into my first message. I'm going to be preaching all weekend long. And, I mean, this can really just really set the weekend off on a dud or it can really be explosive. And so five minutes into my first message, I thought, Jesus told me one day, my kingdom advances through risk. So I stepped out in front of the pulpit and I said, okay, I'm going to take a risk. Uh, now, this is the restoration of faith part for me, right? And whatever your restoration piece is, is what you need to be paying attention to. This was mine. Expectant faith. I step out and I say, God showed me in my prayer time this afternoon, I think, a woman here who wants to commit suicide. If you're here, crickets. I hate the sound of crickets. Preachers hate the sound of crickets. That means nobody is budging, nobody is moving, and you're feeling like a big fat zero. And all of a sudden, a woman gets up and I think, thank God. Not that she wanted to kill herself, but thank God <laughs> that she just saved my sermon. And she, I was, she was walking down the aisle, and I said to her, Jesus showed me when I wrap my arms around you, and that's all I got out of me. She wrapped her arms around me, and then she just collapsed on the floor. Her head hit Ellie's folding chair, and he's like not knowing what to do. And all of a sudden, she just starts manifesting. Her eyes are on the back of her head. She's shaking. She's clawing at her throat because whatever it was was trying to strangle her to death. <clears throat> Mario looks over at the pastor who put this whole convention on, and Mario saw the pastor go, and he said, because he knows this pastor, and he thought, this pastor's thinking, oh, great. The whole weekend is shot. Because this demon-possessed woman is going to completely take over the whole meeting. And, you know, I mean, there's visitors here and, and all that. But that's not what happened. Elliot and I and Mario just took care of business. We cast the demon out of this precious lady. And then she was like just laying on the floor, just limp. And you see this happens a lot in the Bible. Jesus, uh, you see this in Jesus' ministry. Four people pick her up and put her in a chair, and I go back to preaching. As long as I'm, the longer I was preaching, the more in her right mind she became. In that very passage, it says that when the town saw the demon-possessed man, 
in his right mind, they were amazed. And I said, and there she is right there. And the place, of course, just exploded, right? That wouldn't have happened if I didn't step out in faith. The next night, we're at a meeting in a hotel ballroom. And there's a few hundred people there, and the place is just exploding with worship, the presence of God. It's so powerful. And when it was all done, the pastor that I was talking about went to, he's excited now because all sorts of stuff are happening, right? People are getting set free. People are getting saved. People are getting healed all over the place. It was so awesome. Wasn't that awesome? It was so exciting. He goes to pay for the room, and he walks into the manager's office, and she's sitting at her desk shaking. He said, are you all right? She says, I opened the door to the ballroom just to make sure all the logistics were going okay. And this power hit me and I started shaking and I came back to my office because I don't know what it is. (laughs) Isn't that awesome? And he says, and then all of a sudden he remembered one day when I hugged him and it did something for him. I don't know why that came to his mind. I don't know why it did something for him. But that's, so he says to her, do you need a hug? <laughs> he says, yes. So he's hugging this manager, of the, you know, the events manager, and she starts shaking under the power of God. She goes, what is this? He says, that's just the power of God. He loves you. He knows you. Letter to the Lord right there in her office, man. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that powerful? So. I have other stories, but I won't, I won't bore you with, with uh, story after story of what happened down there because God wants to do things here. But here's the truth about this, and this is what I want to say to you today. That wouldn't, those things and those meetings, they wanted us to come back down and make a citywide, a citywide event this next time and bring the whole city together. And whenever somebody wants me to go to La Paz on the Baja to do a citywide meeting, I know it's the Lord. If you've ever been down there, it's, it's beautiful. Anyway, um, me going down there wouldn't have done it. We needed, I needed the pastor down there to have the desire to call Mario and I to come down there. The intercessors needed to be praying for that to happen. Jesus had to be there or nothing would have happened. Because, I mean, that lady said to me all weekend long, She was thanking me and thanking me and thanking me. We're in a little round table uh, with like five pastors and Elliot, and we're sitting there, and she came in just to serve us. She's standing next to me just thanking me and thanking me. She goes, I've been to counselors. I've been to psychiatrists. um, I I, um, have um, tried everything. Nobody could help me. And Mario asked the pastor, he said, does this lady do this everywhere you go? She goes, I mean, is she like theatrical? He said, no. She's a dignified woman in our city. She owns a chain of restaurants. She would never behave like that anywhere. He said, but she gives a lot of money to pastors and tries to control them. Hmm. Who does that sound like? Another, another person we know is Jezebel. Well, that spirit's gone. And she was just so thankful all weekend. I couldn't have done that. Human personality doesn't cast demons out. Jesus does. It wouldn't have happened. Without Mario, we've been traveling for 17 years together, and he is an amazing interpreter. The Spirit of God's on him. I've worked with some interpreters that just, they're not spirit-filled. They stumble around. They don't understand 
how to operate under the power of God, and it frustrates the meetings. I mean, I needed Mario. I needed Elliot. I needed the pastor down there. I needed the intercessors. I needed the people who gave the money to put the whole thing on. The kingdom of God, here's my point, the kingdom of God is a team sport. And you are not going to fulfill the will of God for your life. You're not going to make it through trial successfully, and you are not going to become more and more like Christ unless you have people in your life that you recognize as those that God has put in your life. Let me ask you a question. I'm going to give you a a current illustration of this. Have you ever heard of Michael Phelps? Anybody heard of Michael Phelps? Raise your hand. Okay. Anybody hear of a gentleman named, named Leakman? Who? Leakman. No? Well, let me tell you something. Without Leakman, in 2008, Michael Phelps would not have won eight gold medals. This, this meet, kind of like just, was just off the radar. I've been thinking about it ever since. These Olympics came on, and I immediately started thinking about Leakman. I thought, you know, your life is going to, the end result of your life is going to be who you become, how much of God's will you fulfill, how much like Christ you become, like how many trials you make it through successfully, and that's going to be the end of your life. But I'm going to tell you something. You're not going to be successful without Leakman's in your life. God has set you up for success, but one of the primary ways that you are going to succeed is by recognizing the Leakman's God has placed all around your life. Recognize them, draw upon them, learn from them, receive them and understand God has placed key people in my life and they are bringing God's stuff to me. I can't shut them out. I cannot ignore them. It's God ministering himself to me through Leakman's. I want you to see what I'm talking about. Watch this amazing four-minute video of how Michael Phelps, who's the first one in the water, 2008 Olympics, how Michael Phelps actually wins the second of his eight gold medals. Watch this. With me. Acts chapter 18. This is a chapter that we were in uh, last time I taught in the book of Acts, and I didn't uh, get into the meat of it, so I want to hit it kind of quickly right now with the little time that we have left. that amazing so we've heard of michael phelps obviously but lee zach thank you lord lee zach you have lee zachs in your life god places lee zachs in your life all the time and it's critical that you recognize them and receive from them what they have for you because it's god helping you succeed in life and fulfill his call in your life in acts chapter 18 we see the apostle paul now first of all we know who paul is The Apostle Paul was caught up, well, first of all, the resurrected Jesus. After Jesus was crucified, rose from the dead, he appears to Paul. So Jesus Christ, the resurrected Son of God, taught Paul personally. That's pretty heady stuff right there. You and I haven't gotten that. Then Paul gets caught up to heaven. He sees heaven. And then he comes back down to the earth and he says, when he's writing the Bible, he says, I saw some stuff and I know some stuff I can't even talk to you about. It'd freak you out. Jesus told me I'm not even allowed to talk to you about it. Then he's raising the dead, doing unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. 
He's a brilliant scholar. I mean, really. I'm not sure he really needs that much help, except for the fact that he does. Why? Because he's human. And God has not designed you and I to live life as solo artists. Life is a team sport. The kingdom of God is a team sport. I'm constantly looking around me to see who God is adding to me to help me fulfill what God's called me to do. When I was down in Mexico, I got a text from an intercessor who's not in our church anymore, but she and I had this spiritual connection where she just picks up on stuff that uh, God's doing in my life. She did not know I was even in Mexico. I'm in my hotel room, and I'm struggling with this faith expect, uh, expectation, high expectation thing. I'm on my knees in my prayer time in Mexico, and I know God's trying to get the unbelief out of me and get this measure of faith in me that the churches of Mexico need. I'm the guy. I'm the apostle. I'm the preacher. And I know I don't have it yet, man. The penny hasn't dropped. And I'm just about ready to, like, get it from God, that place of faith. And all of a sudden, bling, I got a text. I look at it, and it's that intercessor. And she said, what you're wanting from God right now, just receive it. It's yours. Boom! Dink, the penny dropped. I walked out. Of, I mean, it was like Superman coming out of the telephone booth. Man, I was, woo! I was ready. See, I needed her. I needed that intercessor. I need those in my life. You need those people in your life as well. And you are a Lezak for somebody else. God has given you gifts and talents and passions and wisdom for those that are around you. They need you sometimes to run that lap, swim that last lap so that they can win the gold medal. So the Apostle Paul, in verse 2, it says, He found a certain Jew named Aquila, Pontus, and Priscilla, his wife. Now he just runs into these two people because they both happen to be tent makers. So Paul's going from town to town preaching about Jesus, and he runs into a couple tent makers, Aquila and Priscilla. You wouldn't think much of them, but God was adding them to his team. Aquila and Priscilla, it says later, Paul says in the book of Romans, they risked their life for me. It also says that Aquila and Priscilla ended up being uh, pastors. They had a church in their house. Aquila and Priscilla had no idea that they were going to be anything other than tent makers until they connected with Paul. All of a sudden, they're risking their lives for this man. They have a church in their house. And they, are, they become apostles, traveling around the world, raising the dead, healing the sick, preaching about Jesus. And then Paul says, they are loved by all the Gentile churches. That is amazing. They were Lezaks. Everybody say Lezak. They were Lezaks in Paul's life. And then you go down to verse 5. Watch this. Paul's up preaching in the temples to the Jews. And it says, when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. Paul's preaching that Jesus is the Christ to the Jews, that he's the Messiah, he's the Savior, he's the one you've been waiting for. And they are refuting him, and they're, they're fighting with Paul in the temple. And then it says when Timothy and Silas came, all of a sudden, Paul was compelled in the Spirit. That means constrained, where I am forced, I am, I am like amped up now to preach Christ as the Messiah. That didn't happen until 
Timothy and Silas showed up where Paul was preaching. Isn't that interesting? Here's a guy that's met this resurrected Christ, been caught up to heaven, is brilliant, has raised the dead, and yet when his two buddies show up, all of a sudden he has this boost and he starts preaching even more fervently. What's that about? I was at a uh, conference once with Alan Vincent, who's a spiritual father of mine in Texas. And he was preaching on this very concept that you have a leader, an apostle, but then you have the prophet, teacher, evangelist, and pastor that surround the apostle. And he was saying that these four gifts empower the leader, the apostle. He was saying it's not just that the apostle elevates those around him, which leaders do. Leaders elevate. That's why you don't want to shoot your leaders. You might as well put a bullet in your own brain. If you're going to criticize and shoot your leader, you just shot yourself. Because when the shepherd is struck, the, the sheep scatter. If you, want, if you want everything you can get out of the gifting and anointing and leadership of the person leading you and leading your ministry, leading your home, your teachers, your coaches, uh, your pastors, your managers, you need to support the leadership in your life. What the devil will try to get you to do is be one that tears down and accuses. Because he's called the accuser of the brethren because he loves to tear down, destroy, divide, and rip apart. So if you're a part of that, you are, you're a good bedfellow with the devil. Jesus is always trying to keep the body unified. The Bible says, endeavor, strain every nerve to keep the unity of the spirit. That's in your marriage, in your family, in your church, in your company. Uh, that's why the, the political spirit is so devilish because it's so devices and rips people apart. Jesus is always trying to unify. Satan is always trying to divide. And so he was teaching on this concept of how those that are around a leader actually empower that leader. Well, I was physically ill during this conference. I had a head cold. You know what that's like, where you just can't breathe, your eyes are always watering, your head's pounding. And uh, I went back to my hotel room, and I had a dream. In this dream, there was a front loader that had four big telephone poles in, in, the, uh, in the scoop. And it dropped these poles, and they hit the dirt. And I was standing there in front of the front loader, and this wave of dirt just came over me from the poles that hit the ground. And in the dream, I was sick, as I was in real life. And in the dream, as soon as that wave came over me of dirt, I was completely physically healed. And then I woke up from the dream, and I was physically completely healed. I was so blown away by this. I ran outside in my pajamas. I ran out in front of the hotel looking for the front loader. I was looking to see was there any construction going on around here because it was so real. I went all around the hotel looking for it. It's like, did that really just happen? And what God was teaching me was God places Lezaks in my life. And these people... I don't just lead and elevate them and give them platform like Paul did to Aquila and Priscilla and Silas and Timothy, but they also bring life and empowerment and refreshing to me as a leader. We need to work together. So Timothy was a son to Paul. Paul found him just a teenager, said, why don't you come with me and became a Lezak for Paul. The same with Silas. And then you go down here and you see all these other examples of of people that helped Paul. 
The Jews here, you keep reading down, the Jews rejected Paul. So Paul leaves the temple. But there was a guy named Justice who had a house right next to the church. And he said, hey, why don't you come over to my house, Paul? So now you have the gift of hospitality. Paul's kicked out of the temple. The Jews don't want to listen to him. But next door, he finds somebody's house to go into. And then the leader of the synagogue, you keep reading, although the Jews didn't want the gospel, the leader of the synagogue did. So he goes to Justice's house. And now they got a little party going on. And then later in the chapter, you got this guy named Apollos that shows up. Look at this in verse 24. Now, a certain Jew named Apollos, born to Alexandria, an eloquent man, check this out, an eloquent man, mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord through, though he only knew the baptism of John. So now you have this guy named Apollos. I want, you to, I want you to see the team that God is putting around Paul so his ministry can be as fruitful as possible, as many people as possible can be saved, healed, and delivered. Paul could not do it alone, even though he was the mighty apostle Paul. He needed Aquila. He needed Priscilla. He needed Silas. He needed Timothy. He needed Justice. He needed the ruler of the synagogue. And now here comes a guy named Apollos. Now, Apollos has never met Paul. Apollos has no idea that he's about to be used by God to be put on Paul's team. Paul has no idea about Apollos. Paul had just come from uh, another region called Achaia, which is where the church of Corinth is. Let's say he just came from Arizona. Okay, we're in California. Paul just came from Arizona. Got a whole bunch of people say there's a brand new church there, okay? Well, Apollos comes on the scene here in California, and he's in the temple, and he's preaching. He's an eloquent man. I mean, he can speak brilliantly. He's mighty in the scriptures. He knows the Bible. And he's fervent in spirit. That word fervent means he's fiery. I mean, zealous and on fire for God. Okay? You may not know anybody like that. And so this guy, you know, he seems like, you know... Don't mess with Apollos, man. I mean, even his name's awesome, right? <laughs> My name is Apollos. I am eloquent, mighty in the scriptures, and fervent in spirit. But look what happens here. And this is very critical, very critical. Josh Nunn and I were talking about this uh, just before the service, this very important point. Verse 26. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue well, watch this. When Aquila and Priscilla, you remember them, right? From the beginning of the chapter, tent makers now on Paul's team. And they're working with Paul. And this guy just shows up in church they'd never met before. And he just starts preaching fervently, eloquent, mighty in the scriptures. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Now, how do you think that went? Did you just hear me preach? That was pretty eloquent, wasn't it? Did you hear how many scriptures I quoted in a three-minute period? Did you hear all those scriptures? Because I am mighty in the scriptures. By the way, did you feel that fiery zeal when I was preaching, man? Woo! And you want to teach me more accurately the things in the scriptures? You have got to be kidding me. Get away from me, Satan. You're just trying to, you're trying to discourage me. You know what? I perceive in you a competitive spirit and jealousy because 
I'm Apollos. <laughs> oh, man, how often do we see that in the body of Christ? It's such foolishness. The gifts of God are gifts. Can I say that again? The gifts of God are gifts. The things you're good at are gifts from God. They don't say anything about your quality as a human being. That's called character. Character is developed. Gifts are given. And we are to use all of our gifts for the glory of God and the benefit of others. It's Satan that wants you to absorb all the glory. Look at me. Look how awesome I am. Worship me. Worship me. Worship me. <gasps> Feel so good. My self-esteem goes up. I have more likes than you do. I have more likes than you do on Facebook. Did you see my picture? I have 250 likes. Oh, look. I got 400 likes. Ha, 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 ha. We're so insecure. We don't know who we are in God. Oh, my gosh. The humility of Apollos is amazing. He listened to Aquila and Priscilla. These nobodies. They taught him things that he was lacking. Thank God for humility when you find it. I'm going to tell you something. This is the biggest phrase I'll give you all day. If you will commit to being humble, you will be limitless. Because God can keep pouring into you and pouring into you and pouring into you and pouring into you and pouring into you you from all those around you. Everything they have, you can get. When I go places and I'm sitting here and there's a preacher, I mean, I'm going to suck all the anointing out of them. And if you get a drop, that's because you scraped and scratched for it. Because I'm going to sit right there and I'm just going to... Because God has given everybody something. And it's for the benefit of those around you. But just the opposite. Did you like that sound effect? You want to do that again? Seriously, look. The Bible says the humble uh, receive wisdom and keep growing wiser. Or the wise receive instruction and keep growing wiser. But the opposite is true. When you're prideful and unteachable, your world is very, very small. God's trying to give you wisdom, resources, help. But if you're self-sufficient and prideful or fearful or insecure or whatever it is that causes all this, oh, no, 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 I don't need it. Oh, no, 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 oh, no, 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 no. Whatever that is, you're blocking God. One time I went through this horrendous trial. My former fiance uh, committed suicide. She tried to commit suicide three times. She finally did it. Some people thought it was my fault um, because we broke up. And they thought that I broke her heart, and so she committed suicide, which you're never responsible for somebody else's suicide. And obviously she had issues uh, stemming back from her childhood, and she just fear got a hold of her, and it was devastating. But there were people that thought I was responsible somehow. Um, and uh, so my world got divided down the middle. My church, 
that I was on staff of, my friends. He worked for the FBI. They came to my office at our church. Uh, this was after she tried to commit suicide the first time, and she was in a mental institution. I took her there, and her mother asked me, please do not tell anybody where my daughter is because it's just so overwhelming for my family and so shameful. So these two FBI agents are in my office, and they're asking me, where is my secretary? He was the number three FBI guy here in San Diego County, and he, he was over the car theft ring. And I'm not allowed to tell them where she is. So you know what I decided to do? This is just for free. This is me being me. I decided to give them my testimony. For those of you who don't know it, <clears throat> I didn't know why when I started laughing about how I used to sell drugs. And ha, 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 Jesus saved me. Ha, ha, ha. Deadpan looks. And I thought to myself, and I said, did I just tell two FBI agents that I used to steal drugs? And I started laughing again. Just deadpan. I was like, you are such a moron. Unbelievable. Paul says take every opportunity, right? I'm not so sure that was an opportunity. So my world was split in half. And the Lord said to me, um, he gave me a scripture out of Psalm 18. It says, the Lord is with me among those who are for me. So David said, the Lord is with me among those who are for me. And he said, I'll show you who your friends are. It's amazing when you go through hell. It's amazing when you go through a crisis. The people you think are going to be there with you all the way through. And the people you think wouldn't have anything to do with you. It was unbelievable. And God said, God said, your world is on fire and you can't do anything about it. But I'll show you who your friends are. I'm not saying this to, for you to feel sorry for me or think I'm a martyr. It happens to you too. This is just, this is just humanity and God's sovereignty. I watched. I could not defend myself. People had already made up their minds. He was preparing me for the ministry, by the way. And so it was like, whoosh, this fire went through my, own, my immediate family. Half my brothers and sisters, my mom and dad, thought I should go back to her funeral and, and be there. And, and the other half said, you shouldn't go to the funeral. There's nothing for you there. Hoping I'd already become a boyfriend and girlfriend. And we were going to get married and we're moving on. And the whole thing was just... I was completely worn out with trying to decide what the right thing is to do. And uh, the Lord said, I will show you who your friends are. For I am with you through those who are for you. The next morning, I'm doing a Bible study for the college and career group. And this young teenager comes up to me, young 20-something. He said, God wanted me to tell you that he's with you among those who are for you. Wow. So I started to just watch people either criticize me and distance themselves or come to my aid. And it was just amazing how it all panned out. Just, you don't know what's in people's hearts until hard times hit. And uh, I don't know why I just went off on that tangent because it sort of relates, but I'm not sure how much. But obviously that was for somebody. Don't defend yourself. Just let God take care of it. So, um, well, it ties in in that I, I knew Lizax <laughs> came into my life. 
And that's when God told me to pioneer a church. I took a year sabbatical. It was a sovereign sabbatical. The Lord put me on it. That's a whole story in itself. It's pretty amazing. And when he told me to start a church, um, I mean, it was just hope and die. We'd been on a sabbatical for a year, our first year of marriage. And I said yes to the Lord. And that week, seven people called me up and said, I wish you would start a church. They weren't going to church anywhere. People I discipled in the youth group from, for 10 years. And they just kind of spun out because the church kind of dissolved. And, and, uh, and those are my Lezaks. That's how God started our work. It's all God. So because Apollos humbled himself and was teachable and was able to receive what God had for him through those around him, he said, I want to go to Arizona and I want to preach. And they said, oh, well, Paul was just there and he just started a church there. He said, so I tell you what we'll do. Because you're teachable, because you're humble, because you've allowed us to add to you and now you've expanded and now you have the fuller gospel, we're going to write a letter to the churches in Arizona and tell them to receive you. And it says that Apollos went with these letters and the church over in Arizona received Apollos as part of Paul's apostolic team. And it says Apollos helped them greatly. Your life is a team sport. Jesus is to be the source of your life. And that means first you have to give your life to him. If you have not given your life to Jesus, then you are the ruler of your own life. You are the one making decisions for your life. You are the, you're the source of your own life. And there's no way you're ever going to find out who you really were created to be. There's no way you're truly going to ever be able to fulfill God's will for you. You go through deep trials, and if you don't have Jesus, man, it is going to be just brutal. Jesus is your shepherd, and he's calling you. He's calling some of you this morning. You've been hearing his voice in my voice. You've been feeling it on the inside of you. That feeling is not me. It's not my words. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit of Jesus. He's talking to you. He's saying, make me your Savior. He's the first teammate, the team member you need. I just have to stop right there. But there's something else from the Holy I believe this is from the Holy Spirit. There's some of you here today who have blocked some Lezaks in your life. I don't know if it's through unforgiveness, hurt. Whatever the issue might be there, God's not going to change the Lezak. It's who he put in your life. And, and you, you, you need to do whatever God needs you to do to drop those barriers and allow God to begin to minister to you. It might be in your marriage. Your marriage is supposed to be full of romance, not cold distance. You've got to go to God and say, God, melt my heart. I need to receive through my spouse again. I'll be your parents, kids. But some of you today need to receive Jesus as your Savior. You need to take that first step. Get on God's page. Have your sins completely forgiven. Know that your destiny in heaven will be settled this morning because Jesus Christ paid the way for you to go to heaven. You're not going to get to heaven without Jesus. He is your Elizak with a capital L. Jesus Christ paid the way for you to go to heaven. There's no way you can get there by being a good person because we've all sinned and fall short of God's standard. Salvation's a free gift. So I'm going to close with that this morning. So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes for a moment.
I'm going to ask you uh, just a few questions, and I want you to just um, let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart right now as I ask you these questions. Ask the Holy Spirit right now to show you who are the Lezaks in your life. He'll start bringing faces and names up to you. People that are on your side that want to help you reach the gold. Who are they? They might be people you're mad at. Might be people you've closed out. Holy Spirit, who are the Lezaks in your life? Okay, whatever names and faces came up, you need to repair those relationships because God wants to come to you through them. Ask the second question. Lord, who team have you put me on? I am the Lezak to people around me. Who am I supposed to be helping? What gifts do I have that can benefit those around me? Now let him bring this... Let him bring up people into your eye eye of your mind. Okay, and then finally, if you're here today and you have never given your life to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you're ready to do that right now, would you raise your hand right where you are? So I can pray for you. And the Lord is going to forgive you of all of your sins. He is then going to breathe his spirit into you, and you're going to become his son or his daughter in an instant. Anybody here this morning raise your hand and say, that's me. I need forgiveness of sin. I need to make Jesus my Savior. I'll wait for just a moment. That's you. Will you raise your hand? Okay, let me say this one last time before we, before we go today. There's no way ever that you're going to make it to heaven on your own. Human effort, your willpower, being a good person. The Bible says that we all have sinned and fall short of God's glory, but the free gift of salvation is through his son, Jesus. You have to allow Jesus to help you, to come in and forgive you. That's the only way that you're going to find yourself entering into heaven is through the free gift of Jesus. Is there anybody here this morning? So you'll raise your hand and say, that's me. I need to make, I need to ask Jesus in the mind. I don't see anybody raising their hand this morning, but um, I'm going to stay down here. And uh, if you want to receive Jesus, I'll stand down here and just wait for you. The prayer team is going to come down here, and they're going to pray for the sick. Uh, They're going to be here to pray for any needs you might have. But especially if you want to give your life to Jesus, they're going to be down here, and I'll pray for you as well. So how many of you identified some people that God has placed in your life that you need to open yourself up to? Raise your hand. Look at that. Sure you did. How many of you realize that you also have been put on somebody's team to help them and uh, God has shown you how you can help them? Raise your hand. Isn't that beautiful? Okay, well, kick the devil's butt. Get rid of the division. Be humble. Be teachable. And watch what God will do in your life. God bless you, family. Thanks for listening to me today.